Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sally. Well, good morning. Good morning. So today, just as Jill said, we're heading into our summer Sundays kicking off a brand new series looking at some of the parables. Obviously, there's over 30 parables. We're going to be looking at the ones in Luke. I think it's the next slide. So this is the the plan, the journey we are going on. We're going to be looking at these five parables uh, through our summer Sundays in the Gospel of Luke. And like it says there, we believe that the parables, these are the teaching of Jesus. We believe in Emmaus that it's always good to come back to the teaching of Jesus. You know, and so these are the way that Jesus illuminated the nature of God and the way of the kingdom. And I'm aware that for many of us, if you've been following Jesus for a little while, the parables will be well-trodden ground. You know them, you could probably recite them. But as one theologian said, and I love this, uh, next slide. The parables are shallow enough for children to play in and deep enough for theologians to drown in. And so over the next uh, five weeks, hopefully we're going to drown a little in the parables. Um, And on that note, I... uh, was reading Thea. So Thea was three at the time. This was a few months ago. For Christmas, she got given this book. Uh, It's lovely. There's a little farmer there having a party with all sorts of little sheep. And we got to the Good Samaritan. And as when you're reading stories to kids, I was tired. I was slightly on autopilot. And so I found myself reading these words. Suddenly, 
there is a shout, robbers, three of them. They steal his donkey and all his belongings, and they whack him on the head with a stick. (laughs) Poor man, he is left lying on the path. He is bleeding, and he cannot move his legs. And I look down at two wide eyes staring up at me and realize inadvertently I have introduced my three-year-old daughter to the world of violent crime. (laughs) And for weeks after that, robbers kept on coming up in conversation. And Hannah is like, where did Thea learn about robbers? And I've got no idea. It's probably Willow and Pete and Andrea. But these are the stories, right? And although that was a parenting fail, the next slide, please. The truth is that the parables are meant to disrupt, disturb, and disorientate us. That is what they did back in Jesus' time. This is some of the best literature that has ever been written. And for Jesus' original audience, the takeaway of this story was not simply we have to be kind. There is something in the contours and the layers and the dimensions of the Good Samaritan that should leave us disturbed and disorientated in our everyday lives. So let's dive in. Shall we? I'd love to encourage you, if you have a Bible or a phone, keep it open. We're going to be doing a deep dive into the words. There are details in this story that we're going to be coming back to. So first of all, let's set the scene. Jesus is there and he's having a conversation. Now, the Good Samaritan is not a sermon that Jesus said. It is an answer to a question. And a scribe, so the scribes were... The kind of halfway between a lawyer and a theologian. These were the experts in the law. They are the ones who devoted themselves to understanding the Torah and the commandments contained within the Torah. And their job was to understand them and try and teach people and hold them to account. And it says that one of them comes up. It actually says that one of them stands up to test Jesus. Never a good idea. (laughs) Never a good idea to test Jesus. But actually, standing up at the time, what would happen is that the the teacher, the rabbi would have sat and and the students would have stood. So to get us into the mindset, I'm going to grab a chair. If you could all step. No, I'm not really going to do that. Don't worry. But he stands up as this sign of false humility to test Jesus. And he asks Jesus this question, what is the greatest commandment? Now, sorry, what um, must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus comes back with the greatest commandment. Now, you need to think about when he talks about inheriting eternal life, what he is not talking is about living forever. What he's talking, life in this context is not so much about quantity, but about quality. How do I inherit this life of flourishing, this life of fullness? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. What do you say? To love the Lord your God with all your mind, your heart, your body, and your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, 
what is happening here is Jesus is not new when he comes back with that first part about loving the Lord your God. Most of the rabbis of the day believe that part from Deuteronomy. They would have said that is the greatest commandment. The question, the controversy is what is the second greatest commandment? Now in the Torah, what we have is 613 commands. And then within the oral tradition of the day, we had another 1,500 commands. So the people of God were birthed with trying to understand over 2,000 mitzvah, 2,000 commandments. And so inevitably what comes up is, what's the center? What's the crux? What's the main part of all of these things? And there were two main schools of thought. Either to love your neighbor as yourself, or to be holy as God is holy. Okay, so those were the two main schools of thought at the time. And Jesus comes back and he says, if you're asking me, it's this one. It's to love the Lord your God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the scribe comes back and says, well, who is my neighbor? And then we find the good Samaritan. Now the question is, and again aware this is a lot of background, what the scribe would have been thinking about was the definition of a neighbour found in Leviticus. And it's mostly, mostly people, Jews. People like-minded, followers of Yahweh, the Jews. And there was a whole load of commandments as to how you were to treat your neighbour. Not to murder them, not to gossip about them, to take care of them. So what he's asking is, is that who my neighbour is? And so Jesus jumps in to the Good Samaritan. And what do we find? Well, the first thing we need to look at is where are they going? So they are going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So where is this story set? The the direction here is important. Jerusalem was the place where the temple was. And so the suggestion is that they are traveling away from the temple. Right, And who is the first person that we find in the story after the robbers and the man? It's a priest. So the priests would have lived somewhere like Jericho, and they would have gone to temple, and they would have worked 24-7 for two weeks. Okay, So the suggestion is, in this story, the priest has been serving... These are the upper echelons of the religious order. These were the priests. They've been serving in the temple for two weeks. They're tired and they're heading home. And they come across this man. And what do they do? They walk right past. Now, this could just be a statement about whether or not they were kind and they were caring and it's all of that. But probably actually what's happening here is that Jesus is saying that this man was living in accordance of what he understood the law to be. Now, priests were commanded to not touch a dead body, lest they become ceremonially unclean. And if that happens, they go through a whole load of cleaning ritual, they get put outside the camp, they lose everything that they've just earned, they can't provide for their family. And so what the priest does is he walks past Then a Levite comes. Now the Levite was the second order within the priest. So priests came from the tribe of the Levites. And the upper, like it was hereditary, those that were born into the priestly duty were the top. And then they were those that served the priest. So the, the idea here is that this is probably someone who is walking behind the priest as a servant. 
And so he walks behind, and he walks right on by as well. Well, why? Maybe he's uncaring as well. Maybe Jesus is saying the professionals don't do it and neither do the lay people. But probably more what's happening here is that there is a tension in the Levite. He's asking, oh, I know the priest just walked past this man. Is it my place to act differently? When those who are the professionals in God's kingdom, the priests, they don't even stop to care, should I, as a lay person, walk right on by? And they think, yes, yes, I do. And then we find the Samaritan. We'll jump back into those two characters in a little bit, the Samaritan. Now, I'm sure you've heard it here before, but just to put a bit of context around this, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. Okay? If you've got your Bible there, jump back with me to Luke 9. And go to verse 51, I think it is. Here you find a little story. And in this little story, Jesus tries uh, to go through a Samaritan village. And because he is heading to Jerusalem, the place that the Jews worshipped, the Samaritans don't receive him. Okay? Fine, racial, stereotyping, enemies. We have thousands of years of war documented between the Jews and the Samaritans. But what's interesting is what is James and John's reaction? Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right, these are the guys who've been journeying with Jesus. They've been with him long enough to know that he has power. He has power to be able to call down fire from heaven. They've seen him open blind eyes, open deaf ears. They've seen him step out on the side of the oppressed, the side of the downtrodden, the widow and the orphan. But so indoctrinated into racial hate are they that they believe that this saviour they've been walking with, his reaction to not being received by them would be to kill everyone. Like, feel the hate. Feel the hate in this story. Because who is the hero to Jesus? The Samaritan. Now, the background of why they hated each other was um, in the 7th century BC, we have the Assyrians. They come in, and you've got the 12 tribes of Israel. And they capture the 10 northern tribes. And they take most of the people away into exile, but they leave a few. They leave a remnant. And what the Assyrians decide to do is they decide to populate the ten northern tribes with beautiful Assyrian women. Now, the Jews were commanded not to intermarry. But they do. Most of them do. Most of them don't follow the teaching of Yahweh. They intermarry. And what we develop is a hybrid spirituality between pagan rituals of the Assyrians and uh, Yahweh-following people in the Jews. And what happens over time is they develop this hybrid spirituality. These are the people who compromised, they sold out, they didn't follow Yahweh, they didn't hold to it. And over thousands of years, that develops. And the capital of the northern tribes, Samaria. 5th century BC, we have the two southern tribes that are left get captured by the Babylons. Same thing potentially happens, but they don't sell out. They don't intermarry. They stay strong. They hold to the teaching of Yahweh. 
A few hundred years later, they all come back to Israel. But what you have is you have the southern tribes hating the northern tribes for being sellouts. They tried to bring their pagan rituals into Israel. And what you happen over time is just war develops between the two. So these Samaritans are heretics. They used to refer to them as half-breeds. But who is the hero of Jesus' story? Jesus. The very God incarnate chooses to make the sellout, the heretic, the enemy, the hero of his story. The parables are meant to disrupt and disorientate you. And what does the Samaritan do? The details here are important. He comes and he pours oil and wine onto the man. Oil and wine were the things that they used to make sacrifices and rituals in the temple. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the Samaritan, the half-breed, the sellout, the heretic, is the one in the story who is performing the priestly duty. Remember the original question? What's the most important commandment? Is it to love your neighbor or is it to be holy as God is holy? Well, maybe there's a new holiness coming. What well, isn't a holiness that steps away, but the holiness that can grapple with the oil and wine, the very rituals of holiness. It's the people that step out in love. There is a redefinition of holiness coming to the people of God. So he pours on oil and wine and then he sticks the person on the back of his donkey and he takes him to Jericho. Now you've got to get this. Jericho, he takes him to an inn. No inns on the road. It's not like travel lodges nowadays. The inns are in the sea. He takes him to Jericho. Now Jericho is a Jewish city. Who doesn't go into a Jewish city? Samaritans. Why? Definitely Samaritans with a beaten up, bloodied Jewish person on the back of their donkey, right? If you're going to go in there, definitely don't go in carrying someone who's been beaten up. But he goes in there. Like he makes himself physically vulnerable to the people by choosing to love this man and treat him with care and carrying him into Jericho. So number one, he makes himself physically vulnerable in his love. Number two, he says, pay, give him whatever care he needs and I will pay you on my return. He makes himself economically vulnerable to this man as well. He's got no idea how much that is going to cost. He's got no idea whether or not the innkeeper is going to extort him. But his love goes the extra mile. He makes himself physically vulnerable in love. He makes himself economically vulnerable in love. And in doing so, he operates in the priestly call on the people of God. And how does Jesus end this story? Next slide. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now this is important because when we talk about love, most of the time what we think about is feelings of affection and attraction, right? I love my wife. My mum loves me. Whatever we do, what we think about is feelings, right? When you hear that word, what we think about is feelings. Feelings of affection, feelings of attraction. 
Interestingly, when Jesus defines love, what's the one thing we know nothing about? The Samaritan's feelings. To Jesus, love looks like something different. It looks like a list of commitments, values, and intentions. The assumption is that the Samaritan grew up in the same conversations, the same culture. He was indoctrinated in the same way that everyone else was, where apparently calling down fire to kill entire villages is acceptable. He grew up in that. Maybe he did this through gritted teeth. We don't know. But this story isn't about how you feel. This story is about how you act. Number two, and it ties into that. Jesus does something with the golden rule. The golden rule to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, within philosophy and within ethics and within theology, the idea of treating others as you'd like to be treated isn't new. Actually, probably about 500 years before Jesus, Buddha was the person who said, do not do unto others how you would not have them do unto you. Right? It's like the negative reverse. So it's a good way to live. It's, you know, if you don't want to be murdered, don't murder. If you don't want to be gossiped about, don't gossip. If you don't want to be cut up on the motorway, don't what? Cut up other people. But Jesus takes it and he redefines it and he says it's not about not doing, it's about doing. Love is about climbing into people's lives. Love is about action. This is not semantics. One is tolerance. One is love. One is tolerance. One is love. And we are dealing with the same things today, right? It's repackaged in different ways. But there is basically a major ethic around that's like, hey, so long as what you're doing doesn't impact me, we're good. You do you. It's tolerance, right? It's the tolerance. It's handed down through. It's not new. It's come all the way from Buddha 500 years before Jesus. All sorts of religions tie into it. It's tolerance. And it makes for pretty good living. But the one thing it doesn't do, it doesn't help a man who's dying in a ditch. But Jesus saying, do unto others. The way that you're expecting this story to go is that the Jew is the hero. Jesus is like a Samaritan's in the ditch and a Jew comes along and he treats him with love. Be like that hero. You know, every Hollywood makes you want to feel like the hero. But Jesus, in his brilliance, makes you the victim and says, hey, if you're dying in a ditch, who do you want to be your neighbor? doesn't matter if it's a Jew or Samaritan it's the person who will treat you with love now go and do the same love is action if you want a way to remember this we hear that the uh, the Samaritan got off his donkey so here's my takeaway love gets off its ass (laughs) yeah thank you thank you thank you very much thank you so you'll remember that one Love is action. Love gets off its ass. And then finally, who is this neighbor? He's your enemy. He is your enemy. And we can talk about that on the macro and all sorts of things. But what about on the micro? 
What about your landlord who keeps raising the rent even though you're in an economic crisis? What about your ex-wife who promised to love you and then left your life, life in tatters? What about the person who copied your bank card, stole your identity and spent your savings? What about your boss who doesn't appreciate you and doesn't see you and isn't giving you what you deserve? What about your colleague who is slandering you and gossiping about you and treating you badly? What about the people who've parked their caravans on Stoke Park and stop you being able to do park run? (laughs) Who is your enemy? Who is the person who, if you're honest, where their name comes up in conversation, you feel slightly, your nostrils flaring, your heart sinking, your heart beating a little faster? How dare Jesus say that I would love them? You have to feel the disorientation and the disruption of this story. Maybe for us it would be something like saying the good Nazi. It is something that reaches deep into the heart of you and says, how dare you call me to love that person? But that is the way of Jesus, to love your enemy. Thousands of years of terroristic violence, of hate, love that person. And don't just not be horrible to them. Go out of your way to love them. Lean into their lives to love them. Make yourself physically and economically vulnerable to them in your love because this is the way of Jesus. The way of the cross is not just our salvation but it is our ethic. It is the way we are called to live day by day laying down our lives in other-centered love. You might be my enemy but I will not be yours because this is the way of Jesus. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, these stories have lasted for thousands of years because they cut deep into our misconceptions, our assumptions, our inadequacies. And so, God, Spirit, we thank you that your word is like a two-edged sword. And, Lord Jesus, we ask today that it would cast to the heart. Would it disrupt us and disorientate us? Would we walk out of that day feeling deeply challenged, Lord Jesus? God, we find it easy sometimes to not be unkind. But we find it hard to choose to lean in in love to lay our lives down, to make ourselves vulnerable in care, even for our brothers and sisters, let alone our enemy. But Jesus, we see you on the cross. Give us the courage to live like that. Because we know, Lord Jesus, if we can live like that, everyone will come to see. That by their love, they will be known as your disciples. Lord Jesus, help us to love just like you called us to love. Forgive us for the time when we're the scribe. Forgive us for the time when we try and test you, Lord Jesus. We try and justify ourselves. But God, aware of how much you have done to forgive us, the love that you have extended to us, how could we live any different? So would you transform us, Holy Spirit? In your mighty and powerful name. Amen.